we have been doing a sermon series called It's Time. And we've been going through the book of John, um, looking at the verses which uh, start at the time when Jesus had primarily finished his teaching and healing ministry, and he turns his eyes to Jerusalem, and that the time had come for him to be glorified. Now, this, uh, this glorification, the way that Jesus was glorified, was the Father's plan. Jesus did it, and he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it's not the kind of glory that the world would imagine for a king. Um, in this passage that we're going to look at today, we're going to see Jesus crowned as a king. In fact, even though it was meant as mockery by those who did it. But he is the king and was crowned in glory according to the standards of his kingdom. And the good news is that that's the standard that is true and is truly good and what matters. So let's just pray and then we're going to just dive into the passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather together in your name. I thank you for the time of worship that we had. Truly, you are good, Lord. Um, and truly, your love is amazing. We thank you so much just that we can unite in, uh, in our uh, bonds of family and friendship and love that we have one another, and that those can be an expression of the love that you have for us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to be able to see uh, things in your word and to see the actions and statements that you made in your time on earth and to be able to apply those in our lives in a way that, is, that helps us to be filled with joy in the love that you have for us, to grow in faith, and to be uh, useful workers for your kingdom. I pray that you would just uh, help me this morning to share uh, the word accurately, and I pray that all of us would have receptive hearts to listen to the scriptures and to obey what we find in them. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the passage we're going to be reading is uh, John uh, chapter 18, starting at verse 28, and we're going to be going through uh, to chapter uh, 19, verse 22. I'm going to read through it. It's kind of a little bit longer passage. I'm going to read through it and take a few breaks as we go through to just talk about uh, a little, you know, just unpack it a little bit. Um, so let's get started. John chapter 18, starting at verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So we should pay close attention in this verse to the actions and words of the Jewish leaders. Um, they are deeply committed to obeying God in respect to ceremonial uncleanness. And because of that, they're not willing to enter into the Gentile palace. But of course, they're okay with a conspiracy and with uh, lying and with working with a Gentile governor to kill Jesus. This type of thing is something that we can observe in the world all around us if we start looking for it. 
Some think that it's good to spread a lie in advance for a good cause, or to carefully use only the most polite and sympathetic language when spreading gossip. Uh, or we have, the, in the most extreme form, uh, what we'll see um, later in this passage. Um, there's only a few short steps uh, between doing a deal with Pontius Pilate in what you think is serving God to shouting out, we have no king but Caesar. You know, those things are only a few steps away from each other. Um, all right, let's continue in a verse. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. This is a very important passage. We just read uh, last week that one of Jesus' servants did, in fact, try to fight to prevent his arrest by the Jewish leaders. But he was commanded by Jesus to stop. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and it does not advance by worldly methods, nor does it need to be defended by worldly methods. This is an important fact that we often easily forget. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It does not advance by worldly methods, nor does it need to be defended by worldly methods. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to him. Jesus is giving a description here of his kingdom. Not a kingdom in the worldly sense of a geographic domain, but a kingdom of people who listen to him and who are on the side of truth. The truth that he came to testify about. If someone asked us why was Jesus born and why did he come into the world, what would we answer? What would be the first thing you'd answer? Right. So most people would answer, well, he came into the world to, at least most Christians would answer, well, he came into the world to pay the penalty of sin, to die uh, and bring atoning you know, redemption to us. Right? So it's not natural that we would answer the reason he came into the world is to testify to the truth. Uh, but that's what he says right here. Uh, this is an important idea because in our emphasis of Jesus atoning or sin covering, work on the cross, um, which is important. We can underemphasize Jesus' truth-telling work on the cross. More specifically, that on the cross, Jesus fully revealed what God is really like. That is the way 
Jesus on the cross, that is the way God feels about humankind. A self-sacrificial, loving heart toward his lost children. There were, uh, there were those then, and now we still have people, who are opposed to thinking of God like that, as a lover of all humankind. Some people find it important to think of God as not liking somebody, right? Or as being against someone. Um, but God is perfectly revealed in the cross as being for the people he is going to save and the nature of his love for them. Um, so the Jewish leaders, they thought that this whole process, that they were somehow serving God or defending God's honor. In fact, they had no idea what God was like. Jesus reveals the truth of what God is really like. God is like Jesus. Okay? That's important. God is like Jesus. God, Jesus is God. Something very easy to forget. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This is, this is a verse worthy of meditation. If we want to know who is the God we worship, he's a man who was flogged by Pontius Pilate. Um, in the King James Version, it says, he was scourged. Let's be, uh, I think we can only be reverent before God and contemplate the prophecy which stated, by his stripes we are healed. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Uh, he was bruised for our iniquities. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. So I want to be clear about what's happening here. To Pilate, this is a mockery. The point of this, mocking not only Jesus, but also the priests and Jewish leaders by dressing Jesus up and presenting him like this. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. 
But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. To me, this is a profound statement. It's one thing for the chief priests to not believe Jesus is the Messiah. Which, don't forget, means the anointed king. It's another thing for them to commit all kinds of lies and evil to bring Jesus to this point. But for the chief priests of Israel, they're sitting in Aaron's seat in the legacy of Moses to declare, we... The leaders of Israel, the people of Israel, we have no king but Caesar. This is a profound betrayal of God and of their own people. This is faithlessness. Well, I guess uh, it is faithfulness to Caesar, but it is a complete turning away from God. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. It's worth just remembering, no one ever took charge of Jesus. He went with them willingly. Um, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. It's some some passage of scripture uh, that uh, just... Aside from saying anything else about it, it's an account of the suffering of our King, of our Lord, um, for our redemption, you know, before a evil man and evil leaders of Israel that brought to that condition. Um, so what I want to do is, for this sermon, is not so much explain the passage. I think it's already just self-evident what happens and. I hope most of you just know what it means. But I wanna, what I want to do is I want to discuss and give to you guys a tool uh, that can be used for unpacking and looking for deeper meaning in a given scripture, um, or even used for interpreting things that are happening around us in life. Okay, so this scripture is a particularly rich one that this, this interpretive tool works very well with, um, but it's something that you can take with you and use in life again and again 
as you come upon questions or other scriptures or things that you want to use, uh, use this to try to achieve a clarity or a deeper or a new level of understanding. Okay, so this is the tool that we're gonna use. And some of you may have seen this before, but for some of you it might be new, okay? So we're gonna take an idea or a word or, a, or something that we're questioning about, and we're gonna put that same idea, we're gonna look at what's hell's version of that idea, what's the world's version of that idea, and then what's heaven's version of that idea, okay? So like, you know, let's just say, we're not gonna talk about this one, but just as an example, let's just say that we were gonna talk about uh, friendship, right? If that's something you were trying to learn about, you'd say, well, what's, what's a friend from hell? What's the world's idea of friendship? And what's a, what's a friend according to heaven, right? So the first step is you look at that and you sort of, you take some time to unpack what are each of those things? How would that be defined? And then the application that you make of it is you say, hell's version is for us to reject and resist. The version of the world is where we are sent to live, where we're on mission. And, the version, and, our, and our mission is to bring as much of heaven's version into the world as we can. Okay? So this is a tool that can be used for just for thinking about not any idea, but for many ideas, or for unpacking many things that you might be looking for some clarity of thought about. Because it can be very confusing. Life can be very confusing in the sense of a complex idea. Heavens, the world's, and hell's statements about it can be all mixed when we're just going through daily life. So the point is, let's separate them clearly and then let's apply them in a clear way into our lives. So we're going to select an idea from this passage, um, and then we're going to go through this process together for a couple different things. So the first one that we're going to do together is the word justice. In this passage, we see a mockery of justice. But it is a trial, and there is a verdict. So I think it's a worthwhile question what can we learn from this passage about the idea of justice, okay? So we're gonna talk about the justice of hell, the justice of the world, and then the justice of heaven. The main point is just describing from the scriptures what they are, and then using that to build our understanding. So what is hell's version of justice? The whipping, mocking, beating, and crucifixion of not only an innocent man, but of the Son of God. That is justice from hell. We also see a judge who denies truth and instead gives into the demands of evil people or of convenience. It's clear that Pilate was perfectly aware that Jesus was being railroaded, but he went along with it anyway due to pressure. By hell's standards, Pontius Pilate was a good judge, right? Because that's that's what that is. What is the world's version of justice? This is, uh, this is where we see those statues of justice, uh, of the, uh, you know, pictured as a woman with a blindfold and holding a set of scales. Everything must get you know, put on the scale. And 
Uh, good justice in the world of mankind should be based on the facts, even-handed, and people are treated as they deserve. Judges and juries should be honest, laws should be enforced evenly, and no one should get special treatment. This is the world's version of justice. And this is what Pontius Pilate should have done if he was going to be a good judge by the world's standards. So what is heaven's view of justice? Uh, I think this can be well summarized in Isaiah 53, where it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace on him was on, that brought peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned away, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, but did not open his mouth. Yet he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. By the world standards, that's not justice, right? That the iniquities of many laid on the righteous one. Um, the sinless Messiah offered himself so that he could bear the sins of many. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we receive healing. Does this sound like justice? Not by the standard of the world, but this is God's plan. Is God unjust? By worldly standards, this plan is unjust. If Pilate was a good judge by worldly standards, he would have sent Jesus away and instead punished the high priest. But in heaven, Pilate wasn't a judge at all. He was another person, lost and far from God, who Jesus was willing to die to save. Jesus told Pilate, you have no power over me that wasn't given to you from above. Pilate probably thought this meant Caesar, but we know that this was all God's plan to bring heaven's justice into realization. The justice that accomplishes the reconciliation between God and man. Pilate wasn't Jesus' judge at all. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore himself, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So, so these are only some aspects of justice 
Uh, there's a lot more that you could talk about that you could unpack from the scriptures. But you can see here three very different things, very separate categories of what justice is. Justice being the mistreatment of Jesus, as we see in Pontius Pilate, right? Justice being what we think of in the world as, you know, the blind lady with the scale. People just get what they deserve. And justice as done by God, which is sacrificial love bringing reconciliation and healing a wound. Um, so what can we do with this knowledge that we gain from this interpretation? So we go to them now looking, thinking about the application. The first application is that we must reject and resist hell's version of justice. And doing so using the methods which were given to us by Jesus. Around the world and in our own country, there is a lot of hellishness going on that is masquerading as justice. Following Jesus, we need to be against this. But we must do so in Jesus' way. Speaking truth, calling to repentance, giving to those who have been mistreated, and being willing to go against the flow even when there will be consequences for us. More importantly, we must live lives of repentance in order to avoid being the ones who are doing hell's justice or injustice. A recent example of this, if you think about the issue that happened with sexual abuse being done in Ravi Zacharias' ministry, and what did they do? They sued the woman who he abused to try to silence her, right? This is hell's justice with Christians driving the police car. We must reject it and fight it off using the tools that Jesus gave us. Repentance, confession, and humility. That's what allows us to resist and reject being agents or participants in hell's version of justice. What about the world's justice? Until Jesus returns, the world is the place where we have been placed. Uh, it is our job to live within the world's system, but not to be of that system. This is really important because although we live within the world, heaven is our home. More specifically, we live within the justice system of the world, with its laws and processes, and with justice maybe peeking out from behind her blindfold. But although that is the world's justice, it is not ours. Ours is the justice of heaven. This is why we forgive. This is why we give grace. This is why we love our enemies. The world's justice may be the law of the land, and we need to respect it as commanded to do so by Jesus. But our role is to bring as much heaven down as we can until Jesus comes back to finish the work. Praise Jesus that heaven's justice is not the world's justice. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply thankful that heaven's justice is not the world's justice because that's why I have the grace to be able to stand before you and before God in any way at all because of his mercy. So recapping, hell's justice is for us to reject and resist, particularly in our own hearts. Heaven's justice is our ideal. The world's justice is what we live within and our work is to make it as heavenish as we can using the tools that Jesus gave us. Okay. So are you starting to get the idea of how this tool of interpretation works? So you know, you can so we talked about it regarding justice, but the same this same methodology 
of evaluating something can be used to try to bring clarity to other ideas, okay? So we're gonna do it for one, we're gonna do it just for, for one more idea, which is, have, which is very present in this passage that we read, just as practice for using this methodology that we can use as a tool to help us clarify our thinking. So the next one we're gonna look at is the idea of a kingdom. Very important idea in this passage. Think of all the times that Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? You know, are you a king? Where, you know, where are you from? You know, it's like this very, it's a very important idea in this passage. And um, so we wanna, so we're gonna unpack using this tool to see what we can learn, what kind of clarity we can get about the idea of a kingdom uh, you, you, just using this method. So, the kingdom of hell. In this passage, we could recognize this as the Roman Empire. And, what, and the symbol of that empire is the cross. Now, we're used to seeing the cross as a symbol of redemption, but the original meaning of the cross was torture and death for whoever will not submit to Caesar. There have been many kingdoms such as this throughout history, and right up to now. Aggression, slavery, violence, war, imprisonment, and torture are the marks of this kind of kingdom, and they're the values of hell that this kingdom represents. The kingdoms of hell demand absolute submission. Pilate expresses the kingdom of hell when he casually sends Jesus to be whipped. In the kingdom of hell, that's just how you do it. The Jewish leaders express the kingdom of hell when they shout, we have no king but Caesar. This is just everyday work in this type of kingdom. Everyone must submit or be punished. Violence wins the day and the most powerful rule. That's the kingdom of hell. In Psalm 58, we see this kind of kingdom described. Psalm 58, 1 and 2. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No, in your hearts you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. That's that kind of kingdom. So what would be a kingdom of the world by the world's standards, a good kingdom by the world's standards? This would be a nation that does what is right by the world's values. It would maintain security and prosperity for its citizens. It would defend and protect the culture and expectations of its people. The symbol of such a kingdom would be its flag. The flag would stir the hearts of the people to loyalty to their nation. The people rally to the flag when the nation is in danger and will fight to defend the country when necessary. These things all sound pretty good. And they are good by the standards of the world. In today's scripture, we see a reference to Barabbas. He was a freedom fighter for his nation against Rome, their evil oppressors. He was a fighter for his country. And we also see when Pilate asks Jesus if he is a king, he replies, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, if this kingdom was a kingdom of the world, then you would expect to see my servants fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus differentiates his kingdom from the kingdoms of the world. Particularly, he differentiates on the basis of how they do or don't fight. Let's look at what his kingdom is like. 
Jesus spent a lot of his time teaching what his kingdom is like. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted good seed in his field, but the enemy planted weeds. He said his kingdom is like a mustard seed planted in a field which grows into a big plant. He said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman works into a big batch of dough. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man finds and joyfully sells everything to obtain. Many more examples. If you just search the kingdom of heaven in your search engine or whatever, look at all the verses, it's tremendous how much Jesus talks about it. The kingdom of heaven is something that grows. It is something that starts small and spreads. It is something that is mixed in with something else and transforms it. When questioned by the Pharisees on when the kingdom of heaven would come, Jesus said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of heaven, oh, sorry, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's, another way of saying that would be, it's mixed up with you. You know, um, the kingdom of heaven is mixed up with the other kingdoms, but it does have borders. The borders of the kingdom of heaven are found in each individual person's heart. The kingdom of heaven does not have an army in the conventional sense, but the kingdom of heaven is at war within each person's heart as we put to death what belongs to the earthly nature and put on the new self. The kingdom of heaven is not aggressive, but it does conquer as it spreads from heart to heart and transforms life after life. So these are just a few thoughts about the three kingdoms. I mean, there's a there's hundred sermons to be given about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but we can make some applications just on these limited um, observations. So, so the ways and tools of the kingdom of hell are, we, are what we must reject and resist. The kingdom of the world is what we live in, but our role is to know that the values of the kingdom of heaven are our true values and to live our lives in the world according to the laws of our true kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is a seed that gets planted in us and grows. And we are yeast that gets mixed into the dough of the world and transforms it. That's how the kingdom of heaven works, right? So looking at our model, the kingdom of hell, we looked at it. All those tools, all the violence, all that aggression that is part of the, what you would describe as kingdom of hell, right? Sometimes those things are very tempting for us. They seem appealing if we think that they mean a bad guy gets defeated, right? Or a good guy wins. But those are the tools of the kingdom of hell. Our calling is to reject and resist those. The kingdom of the world has all those good things, the flag to rally around and the culture to protect. Those seem good and worthwhile, and they are by the world's standards. But that's the dough. We're the yeast. We go into that world where Jesus has sent us, and we bring in heaven's values. That transformation that goes where the, the borderline of the fight is not a fight between me and my enemy. It's a fight between 
the part of my heart that has submitted to Christ and the part of me that still hates him and resists him. And the way that we win in this, in this war and in this, the way the kingdom of heaven wins both now and ultimately is as our hearts become truly sanctified and then we're able to spread that love that we have from Jesus to others from the overflow of the love that we've received. So this is the challenge that I have for you today. I'm asking you to have a conversation with someone and use this tool together. It's going to be awkward, but it's okay if it's someone else who has the same assignment uh, because you'll be, you know, doing it together. Um, use this tool together. Choose something that you both care about and see if you can use the method to explore that idea in a Christian way. It doesn't have to be a drawn-out process, but give it enough thought to see if you can find some insight. I'm not saying it will work for all topics, but I think that there are a lot of things, and especially a lot of the most important things, that using this tool can help to bring insight and clarity to our thinking. To quickly review the pattern, what does hell have to say about the topic? What does the world have to say about the topic? And what is the heavenly way? Hell's way must be rejected and resisted. The world's way is where we're sent to live, but our work is to bring as much heaven there as we can. I want to close with this uh, verse, which I think is applicable here, and then we'll just pray. Uh, this is John 17, 15 to 19. I think this verse has been repeated about 100 times in this sermon series. It says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate the plan of salvation that you implemented, that Jesus did, and that he did so by the power of the Spirit. Lord, we're in awe that such a love can exist, that, that, um, that you would love us in a, such, in fact, even though you know everything about us, to implement a, a plan like this so that we can be your children and that we can live in your presence and dwell with you forever. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify our hearts, Lord, so that as we live in this world day by day, um, we would recognize and reject the values of the evil one, which sometimes are tempting to us, Lord, that we would understand and, and seek to live within the values of the world in such a way that your values, the life of Jesus, the life of the Spirit, a holy life could be manifested and could become something that is real in this world and that transforms it for good. Lord, please uh, speak to us individually. Help us to see if there's an issue or something in our life that we need a little bit of time to think about and try to clarify our thinking about it. Because our, our thinking gets messed up, Lord. We confess that to you. And we mix up in our minds the values 
that you taught us with the values that the world teaches and even with the evil values. Lord, we can mix, we, we get them all mixed up in our heads, Lord. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help bring us clarity. Um, Lord, I pray that some would take the time today to go through this exercise with a friend or a family member and think about how they can just see an issue that may be bothering them or something that may be confusing them to see it a little more clearly. And Lord, I know that, um, that in your spirit, you'll fill in the gaps and any confusion or any issues, Lord, that your spirit will come in, will, um, will speak to the individual's hearts. Lord, I pray um, that you would bless the remainder of our time here this morning. If anyone is here who needs uh, someone to talk to, who needs someone uh, to give them help or compassion, Lord, I pray that you would connect them with the right person, help them to have the courage to reach out, and Lord, please help if, you know, if someone is hurting, Lord, please send one of your people up to them to talk to them and um, to bring them help. Lord, I just uh, thank you so much for this family of families and the times that we can have together, and I just ask that you would continue to bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.